0: and welcome to Globalise Asia. Support for this podcast comes from Royal Beans Chocolates. Royal Beans is based out of Bangalore, India and specialises in Belgian chocolates infused with exciting flavours like masala chai, cappuccino, berry blast, walnut marble and many more. You can gift these special crafted chocolates to your loved ones in India by visiting their website www.royalbeans.in Use the promotional code GLA10 to get 10% discount off your order. Thank you. Hi everyone and welcome to Globalization. How often do we hear people mentioning one of their hobbies as an avid traveler? Travelling, however, is a subjective term. For some, it's a frequent visit to their home country. For some, it's a new destination explored never before. Our guest today is Rahul. His passion for traveling and entrepreneurial mind have forced him to marry those two together and co-founded the travel company called Travel the Unknown. Let's hear the USP of his venture on today's podcast of Globalized Asia.
1: Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Globalization. Today we have the, tra- the topic of travel. Uh, as the world becomes smaller and we all hope to travel to f- places afar, um, I think it'd be very interesting to get to hear from someone who has his own travel company, who he started with his own university friend. So welcome to the podcast today, Rahul. Um, so tell us a little bit about travel, the unknown.
2: Thanks, Ursula and Gagan. Um, Yeah, so um, I started this business um, almost 10, just over 10 years back in 2007. And as you said, it was an old university friend of mine um, who I met in Germany when we were exchange students Um, um, and basically, you know, we've always been avid travelers. And like you said, you know, travel has never been easier in terms of, you know, flights you can catch to pretty much any far far part of the world. But what we always felt was um, that there were certain destinations that we felt were very crowded, um, you know, where mass tourism has really, in fact, spoilt you know, many destinations. And the kind of travel that I personally always enjoyed was, I guess, some of the more offbeat places. Um, so that was the, I guess, the founding um, kind of ethos of the company was to, to take clients discerning travelers uh, to not necessarily far-flung parts of the world, but lesser explored parts of the world. To get authentic experiences um and to see incredible festivals um, but in a very kind of personalized way so it started off from that and gradually kind of over the years you know we've learned a lot and um, we you know run trips to some fascinating parts of the world um, but we've always tried to keep that fundamental ethos kind of behind every trip
0: um raul you mentioned that you started in 2007 yeah now what was your life before that Um, It was quite different. Um,
2: I guess travel has always been part of it. Um, I think growing up, you know, our parents um, used to take us to India many times because obviously their family is largely based, their extended family. Um, But then the school holidays, um, then when I studied, I spent a couple of years living and working abroad um, in the States as well as in Germany um, as part of my course. Um, And then when I then got a job, um, I worked for, it was a management consultancy. Um, I was posted out in Hamburg, Germany, and then moved on to Holland, to Paris and back to Germany as well. So, I guess, you know, again, travel has always been part of uh, of that. Um, And I left uh, my job, I think it was in early 2003, from memory, Um, and I was very keen to study again. Um, So, I did a master's, um, totally different fields in globalization and development. Um, I travelled for three months, I remember going to Southern Eastern Africa, um, kind of alone backpacking. Um, And then from there, um, I went back up to Newcastle, where I'm originally from. Um, My dad had his own business up there, so I helped him for some time. I did a few other ventures um, before starting, I guess, this travel company in 2007.
0: Okay, interesting. And, uh, you know, they say business is all about learning, adapting and growing. And the cycle probably, you know, continues. 2007 is when you started and very soon the financial crisis followed. Yeah. How was that, you know, I mean, initial thoughts of your starting a business? How quickly did you adapt to that situation or did it affect at all?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't the ideal time to start, that's for sure. Um, so we basically founded the company in 2007. Um, but in order because we were selling essentially a travel product, um, we had to go out to and the first destination happened to be India. Um, so both David and myself went out to India to research, you know, parts of the country that we thought would, you know, were relatively unknown. Um, so by the time we made our trip, which was early 2008, came back, um, you know, we didn't have a website then, um, you know, we had no such thing as a brochure. Um, there was lots of biggest bits and pieces that we had to put together before we were finally able to launch a trip. So I think it was late 2008 from memory that we actually officially launched our first tours. and. You know, as any, anyone who started their own business, unless they've you know had lots of funds to start off with, would, would be able to confess is that it's 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 hard you know to get your name out there. You have a very limited marketing budgets. Um, you know why should people spend potentially thousands of pounds with you and trust you? Um, you know they've taken you know two three weeks of their precious annual leave to have these incredible holidays, um, and you know and, and you know and essentially kind of entrust you with uh, running trips in some very challenging parts of the world. So it was hard, um, there's no doubt about it. Um, but I think, yeah, like you kind of hinted, you you, you know, you, you learn from, you know, uh, I guess, mistakes that we all make. Um, and I think it also helped the fact that, you know, I had a business partner involved as well, because, you know, you bring different perspectives, you bounce ideas off each other. Um, so I think that was obviously very crucial to, to us kind of surviving, I guess, the, the tricky period. Um, in terms of the financial crisis, I think as we weren't looking to raise funds initially, it probably didn't affect us as much from that perspective. But I guess, you know, the, you know there might have been less demand, I guess, from, from clients traveling because of, I guess, financial pressures, etc. So um, it's difficult to tell what impact that had. I think anyway, it would have been difficult, you know, starting off something brand new. Um, so I don't think we were massively impacted by that. But um, yeah, it, was, it didn't make it any easier, put it that way.
1: So you mentioned travel, that it, it, it wasn't easy and it clearly wasn't for the reasons you've just described, but um, travel company, you know, for, for it to sustain, it's a very competitive landscape anyhow. Uh, so what makes travel the unknown then set apart and unique from the other two companies out there and what um, what's the particular segment of the market that, that you know, you can cater to?
2: Yeah, so... I mean, as I said earlier, um, the very nature of our trips are very different to the -the round-of-the-mill travel companies. So our tours are not going to suit people who are looking for a beach package holiday, for example. Of course, we can organize that if somebody really wants, but ours is is certainly more focused on the culture. Um, People, we've, again, realized after some time that um, many of our clients are very, very well-traveled people. Um, They... You know, they're very particular about the kind of experience that they're looking for. Um, and we have put a lot of time and thought into the kind of trips that we run. So kind of a fundamental part of what we do is that someone from the team and this is, I guess, the fun part of the job is goes out to each of these destinations you know, to research and to actually find out what it really is like on the ground. You know, people can look at Google Maps, they can do their research online. But I know that a journey from A to B is not going to take three hours, as Google Maps suggests, it's going to take ten hours because you know, the monsoon has just happened, the road's broken. Um, you've got to take a diversion um, or whatever reason. So the ground research is absolutely critical. Um, so we put a lot of effort into that. Um, I think our clients really appreciate that because when we do speak to them, they can tell that generally we are speaking with a lot of background mm-hmm. knowledge on that. Um, also, we are very uh, clear that we only run small group trips and by small groups we're talking 12 people or less. And um, so we run group trips from as few as two people up to a maximum of 12. Uh, but we do also run private tailor-made trips as well. Um, so the group trips are very kind of small, intimate, and because they attract a certain type of traveler, um, usually people get on very well. Um, so that's again, the key. Um, when we do work of these countries as well uh, we spend a lot of time identifying you know the best partners on the ground to work with because we, what we realized is that some uh, local companies are generally only used to running the standard you know golden triangle tours in India for example or Rajasthan etc but not everyone can run trips into Nagaland into Arunachal you know the real kind of you know far-flung parts of India mm-hmm. um, so I think, Ian, you know, where we where I think we do stand out is that we've got very good uh, local partners who understand and help manage the logistics, which can be very challenging. And a lot of stuff goes on behind the scenes that clients don't see um, to give them that seamless experience. Um, so I think those are some of the kind of the key factors, I think, that, that helps us kind of stand out right. from, from other travel companies. Okay, you mentioned earlier when
0: we were chatting before the podcast started uh, about who you started with. Tell us a bit more about your, um, you know, your co-founder or your co-part or the partner for the firm and who how the idea came about yeah so
2: um so you know we were both doing different jobs Um so my friend david and myself we were both um, exchange students um in germany um that was i think 90, 1996 um and you know it was you know it's a great time to be a student and um, you know travel a lot kind of within europe um and yeah we were good friends Then I guess, you know, life took us different directions. You know, I came back to the UK and, you know, started work working for a UK company, um, although I was working then back in Europe uh, with them. David did various jobs uh, from what I understand. Um, And then I think it was around 2005 or 2006, I think he moved to the UK um, and we got back in touch. Um, And it was one of those kind of uh, of pub uh, meetings. And, um, you know, I said to him, I said, look, um, you know, Wake starts something in travel and offbeat travel. Possibly I just kind of had some vague ideas of what we could you know, possibly do. Asked him if you know, it's something that he'd be quite interested in. And, um, and I think I remember speaking to him probably one or two days later and he said, yeah, usually kind of, you know, most pub conversations got forgotten about the next day, but this kind of thing kind of resonated with him. And um, we just started discussing it kind of more and more in length. We kind of meet kind of once or twice a week after work. Um, I remember it was London Bridge, I think there was a pub near there we would meet and kind of unfurl a map and it was that time I was of India and uh, we identified this northeastern corridor this northeastern part of India that I knew very little about Um, and actually many relatives I spoke to knew very little about so I thought well you know I know India fairly well, been going there because of you know the family, Um, I know David had been backpacking around India for nearly 9-10 months Um, so it seemed an obvious place to start Um, and so that Led to eventually developing the first tours. It was in Northeast India.
1: So give us. I think it'll be interesting for someone listening to get to know a little bit more about how you devise these packages or bespoke uh, tours for people, especially if you have a group of twelve coming together. What are the key things or key elements that they look for um, when they when, when when you know they they choose a destination and what are the kind of expectations you set for them? Yeah,
2: I mean, again, I you know I have no no two travellers are exactly the same, Um, so I think it's very important first to understand, um, you know, their requirements. Um, So usually people have some idea um, of the destination or the region that they want to visit. Um, So, um, you know, that would be the first thing to find out, obviously, Um, then the kind of experiences thereafter. Now, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of our trips focus on culture. Um, but, you know, there might be, you know, some elements of wildlife in that. Some people may want to experience a festival. Um, so we then present these various options mm. to them um, and find out, you know, which one, which ones appeal to them more. Um, accommodation is a very important part of a trip. Ultimately, you know, you're traveling away from home for two, three, four weeks, say. Um, and again... Um, some of these places have very limited infrastructure. So I think what Sla mentioned, and this is absolutely something that we learned early on, is to set client's expectations, you know, so somebody might say, "Yeah, I want to travel here, you know, and, but then you realize actually that they're so used to traveling, say, or, or you know, staying in you know, boutique, nice accommodation. And while that may be possible for part of the trip, are parts I know, like of Nagaland, where you know, the accommodation is very basic and you've got to tell them that. So I think as long as people mm-hmm. are aware and you've made them aware that, okay, these are the limitations of going to these places, but what you will get in return is an incredible experience unlike anywhere else you'll ever see, mm-hmm. then by and large, clients, you know, are, are happy with that. Um, and then, you know, a, a trickier one uh, to sometimes ask people as, you know, as a budget because and people sometimes are a little bit cagey about giving their budgets because sometimes they, don't wanna, they feel they don't want to overquote themselves. But at the same time, it's really critical for us to know because we can then tell straight away if something's feasible or not. You know, OK, well, if the budget's this much, then you can stay in better accommodation or why not mm. add this on? Or if it's not enough, then we say, well, actually, for all you're trying to achieve, it is not really going to be possible. You're going to have to take, um, you know, leave this bit out, etc. So... I mean, yeah, this is kind of various questions we ask. And again, you know, it's, you know, it could be a special occasion as well. So it might be an anniversary, it might be a 50th birthday, etc. Something like that. Mm-hmm. That's good to know because then we try to kind of throw in a surprise. We let our local partners know that actually mm-hmm. on this day it's going to be someone's 50th birthday. Can you mm-hmm. arrange something for them? So these kind of things, the kind of things that we ask.
0: You talked about special occasions now read a few, few years ago, maybe, or maybe it was a recent news. I don't remember, but... Indian wedding, are you know, is attracting a lot of foreigners to come and experience an Indian wedding. Now that's something very unique and it's a bit odd as well to have a stranger run, running around in your you know wedding celebrations. <laughs> but is that something somebody has come to you and said, "I would like to experience a wedding in India"?
2: Well, to be fair, we've not had a wedding. Um, I mean, no, not a wedding as yet. At least it's a good idea, though. It's something that <laughs> I should certainly put on the site and discuss <laughs> with the team when I get back on Monday or Tuesday. Um, but I mean, I guess some of the things that we that we typically will do is, and again, it's very much the local kind of uh, flavor that we try to give is, you know, um, experiencing Diwali with a family, you know, as opposed to kind of just, you know, going say, necessary to a temple, which is quite nice. But to actually go to a family's home, see how they actually celebrate Diwali. Um, mm-hmm. kind of, again, we do, you know, cooking, you know, cooking demos as well. You know, having lunch or dinner with a family. I know in Rajasthan, we can organize meals with some of the royal... The royalty there as well so there are certain things like that that we do um a wedding would be a first but uh, i think it's something <laughs> that we put on the site this week um but yeah no again you know where we can offer something that we think will be of interest um, but it's also going to be delivered properly as well you know you don't want it to you know it should be an authentic experience as well so i mean that, that's kind of the key to this
1: You mentioned, Rahul, earlier that travel is, uh, or running a dual company can be a double-edged sword at times. And of course, it comes with the great reward of sending people off to these lovely destinations and welcoming them back with smiles on their faces. But how do you deal with one bad review that could possibly impact?
2: Yeah, it's tricky. I think in the world, in the era of social media, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it takes a long time sometimes to build up trust, etc it takes one angry customer uh, to and the post a negative review or, you know, bad word of mouth can, you know, can seriously damage your reputation. I think the key is, you know, there are going to be instances where a clients are unhappy about things. So we tend to have a, a kind of a, a protocol in place whereby, you know, we try to get our local partners because ultimately they're the ones who are in the Area at the time who could potentially resolve a problem, but say if the client's still unhappy or they felt that something didn't go quite as they were told it would go, etc., and they have a problem, say with the way that was communicated from us, then I think the key, and I think this applies to to, to pretty much any business, is um, you know um, understand, hear them out, listen to them, what their grievances are, um, investigate where possible if it is a failing on our part, on the local partner's part, could be on both uh, parts. Um, and see, is there something you know that you know you could offer them again if they were to go? Whether it be a free upgrade of some sort, um, you know, money off a future trip, etc. Um, I think many times you know people just want to be heard, um, and so long as I think you're you know you uh, are seen to be listening to them and also then reacting to that and doing something about it, and obviously minimizing the chance of that happening again if it was a failing at our end or. Local partners' end. Um, I mean, that's generally you know it's the best that you can really do. But it is. I mean, it's it's, it's a challenge. Um, it has yeah.
1: elements of hospitality, and you know, yeah. the people have to be happy. But I'm sure it doesn't happen often. But something to bear in mind. Yeah, and I think
2: most of our clients, again, you know, because we talked about it solely about setting expectations. And I yeah. think so long as their expectations are met, um, you know, and they're set realistically, mm-hmm. um, then most people will understand. And again, people who are traveling to places where there's very limited infrastructure are going to understand that sometimes there's going to be long delays in travel that they're going to have the odd burst tire from time to time but again it's it's more i find that um clients get reassured when they see actually how you you deal with the problem when it occurs you know people obviously go on holidays not expecting for these you know major problems to happen but when they do, then, um, you know, you have to have a team in place who can, you know, sort everything out. Sort everything out. Yeah.
1: yeah. And and sometimes things just can't be in control if it's a political crisis. And, and we understand uh, even before the Middle East crisis, you ran tours to places like Syria uh, and other interesting places. So how, how did that evolve and how do you tackle these aspects which are not clearly under your control?
2: Yeah, I mean, Syria is a good example. Um, I think it was... Yeah, pre the Arab Spring, really. So I think it was before 2011. Um, Syria was actually one of our, our kind of more in-demand destinations, actually. And for those people who have been or know of Syrian history, um, there's some incredible, you know, sites there. Damascus, you know, it was known the world over. Um, I managed to convince my mother to go on a trip with us as well. Um, and she came back, you know, full of, you know, praise for, for, for Syrians and for, for what she'd seen. But obviously there was a big turmoil in the Middle East since then, and um, obviously with the rolling 24-7 news, which tends to, you know, the news unfortunately does tend to focus on the most negative aspects, it um, put a lot of people off travel. First of all, you couldn't travel safely to Syria anymore, but then it had an impact on I guess, neighboring countries. Yeah. And so part of our role is, you know, is, is to take a balanced view on this. Um, yes, you know, we we would never, you know, uh, risk the safety of our clients and our ground team in these destinations. But at the same time, we needed to kind of present a more balanced view of what's actually happening. Um, you know, so for example, there's parts of, you know, eastern Turkey um, that um, initially were kind of out of bounds because of the proximity to the Syrian border. And so very recently, we started those tours. For example, now yeah, I can totally appreciate there'll be many. Uh, travelers who are still hesitant to go there because they look at a map and they think, okay, yeah, it's too close, and they look at advice, the, the Foreign Commonwealth Office advice that you know might be advising against travel. Um, we take many factors into account. We take the FCO's advice. We t- essentially also take you know our ground team's advice because we have full faith in the people we work with, and where necessary, we we, we, we reroute itineraries as well. So maybe we can't do the exact itinerary that we had on. We'll you know maybe have to deviate it slightly. Um, and, you know, we, you know, we want people still to, to see that, you know, the country is not everything that's presented in the news. And I think that's a very important role that, you know, the tourism has to play. But, yeah, we have to balance that with, you know, the reality as well. You know.
0: I'm sure when you started this company, that one of the biggest challenges you had, and I'm sure out of all the challenges, one challenge was, or one of the challenges was to create a network of partners on the ground. But what about the operations, the backend system? Tell us a bit more about that. How did you even understand, you know, because coming from a consulting background with no travel, uh, with no, you know, knowledge on setting up a travel company, we all are travelers so to speak, but not everybody can set up a company. So what was that research that has gone into it or, you know, how did you even approach that? Yeah, so,
2: I mean, there's, there's many, many elements uh, to to the kind of business that we run. I mean, because now we are running trips to, I think, just over 40 countries, um, you know, in different parts of the world, different cultures and different ways of working. So um, I think it was helpful starting with India first um, because, you know, having been to India before, I kind of understood the mindset and the way the people work there. So it wasn't as much of a, you know, as difficult maybe to, 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 to start that. Uh, but again, you know, the... other parts of the world are in different time zones communication may not be great all the time documentation may may not be up to a certain standard so we had to make sure that we had systems in place and again when we were starting off we were very limited it was essentially just David and myself working most of the time and then occasionally we'd have you know interns in who would help and slowly and slowly we kind of managed to add you know staff members who could help put together you know Mm -hmm. package together the information that we received from our suppliers um, but at the same time we had to build kind of the back-end system essentially and by that I mean you know the, the system that feeds the website um, and that's largely being built in-house and it's a long time-consuming process um, it's something that's always evolving as well um, and I think we were talking earlier before the podcast as well about you know the importance of you know websites and especially for us as we don't have a shopfront you know the website essentially plays that role and um, you know we have a, a good website but we Realize now in this day and age you need to be, you know, um, up to date in terms of the technologies and in line with what competitors are doing as well. So, I mean, it is a significant expense and something that we're looking forward to launching kind of in the summer this year, um, which will integrate hopefully neatly with, the, with our back end. But, I mean, that's obviously contains all the information on tours and, and everything else, all the itineraries that we put together for clients, etc. So, that's all been built in house. Over quite a few years now, Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's critical for us uh, because that's essentially what you know how people find us and what they read.
0: So so clearly, you're investing in um, you know the front end, the website aspect of it. What about the marketing side? How are you reaching out to your? um, First of all, you know, give us a bit of a you know paint a picture. Where where are your clients from? Are they all UK based or they spread across?
2: Yeah, um, I'd say 75% of our clients are from the UK. Um, most of them find us, uh, We well, there's a few marketing channels that we use in the UK. Um, January to, January and February are very kind of busy trade fair uh, months. Um, so we do various travel shows in the UK, which are directly to consumers. Um, Google, Google AdWords, um, we invest quite heavily in that. And there's always, I'm sure there's always more that one can pour into that. Um, but the advantage of that is that you can, quickly track if your marketing is working or not. Um, You can see, you know, the amount of information available um, is is unbelievable. Um, We advertise, do some print advertising in some specialist magazines, um, which again are targeted more towards kind of offbeat travelers. but outside of the UK probably about 15% come from the US and again up until now we hadn't really invested anything in marketing in the US but now we've started to see that actually might make sense to do a bit more there so we are looking at some various channels there as well um, the rest are generally the will come from other English-speaking countries Canada, Australia, New Zealand uh, primarily uh, but still the vast majority are from the UK. As
1: an avid traveller yourself, travel who's probably travelled nearly 70 countries um, up until now. Uh, clearly you you've you've seen yourself in the traveler's shoes and you know what the expectations can go like. How has since you started the company in 2007 um, the expectation of the traveler changed or evolved and uh, do you think it's generally a good time to, to be doing uh, or being in the business that you are? That's a good question. Um, I would say,
2: yeah, I mean, the travelers that again do go on trips with us, mm-hmm. we find are very, very well-traveled people. So we're quite lucky in that sense that, um, you know, it's the style of the trips that we offer and have d- developed essentially should appeal to those kind of travelers. So when we're setting up a new destination, for example, we do we do this many times in response to where clients tell us we should be going, you know, we say, oh, you don't offer trips to Madagascar or along the Silk Road or, you know, we should look at developing that. And, you know, we start researching, um, you know, and thinking, OK, well, yes, uh, our clients are telling us this. And, you know, we think we can put something together Then we'll go ahead and do that. I'm um, finding that now that people generally, I think since we started the company, um, travelers are generally looking for a more authentic experience now. And of course, there'll always be, you know, there's no right or wrong way to travel as such. There'll be those who always want to do the beach package holidays. There'll always be those who, you know, would rather stick to the main tourist routes. And that's fine. I mean, I guess, you know, but one thing that we've again noticed and when people come back from trips is the experiences that they seem to enjoy most tend to be the local authentic ones you know so whether it's you know having staying in a very nice home stay with a family for one night seeing a very remote festival you know that otherwise we get no coverage um, or they wouldn't see anywhere else Mm. those kind of experiences i think people are demanding more and more um but yeah i mean the travel industry has changed it's it's very tightly regulated and um, you've probably heard i'm sure of you know, a number of travel companies over the years shut down even kind of well-known names um so it's something you know that we just have to keep on top of and i think so long as you know be, you know you're on top of your your work and you have a loyal customer base i think that's absolutely critical as well because you know all businesses go through ups and downs and it's your, your your loyal customers who've had good trips who kind of help you through maybe tricky periods you know the word of mouth I think those things are kind of, you know, critical really. Mm.
0: When you're starting a venture, you know, one of the critical aspects of starting a venture is a naming convention. How did you reach out, you know, how did you reach to that name of uh, or the decision to to name your venture as Travel Download? Mm-hmm. Was it an easy one
2: or no, took some time? It took a
0: little time, but I think what we were very clear is that we did, wanted to start a
2: company that was quite different from, from the others. And... Um, and of course, there are other adventure companies as such. Um, and what the name should hopefully convey is that we're taking clients to kind of unknown, lesser seen parts you know, of the world. Now, I mean, you're both from India as well. You know how diverse India is. So many times people say, I've oh, been to India, we've seen this, we've seen that. But, I mean, India is one of those destinations where there's clients who they have done every trip with us, but they've done you know 15 trips to India because... Their very first trip might have been the Golden Triangle. Then they might have done a bit more Rajasthan. Then okay, they'll do some hill stations. They'll go up to Ladakh or you know South India. Um, and I was you know the, again our ethos was very much in showing people I guess the lesser seen parts that other companies either didn't make the effort to, to find out about or thought actually it's gonna be too much hard work to organize. And that's where we kind of felt there was a bit of a gap and that we could kind of step in and, and assist with that. Um, It comes with its challenges, but I think, you know, 10 years on, I think we're we're happy with the people we work with and the way the trips run. There's always room for improvement here and there, but um, I mean, that's, you know.
1: And that kind of cuts through the the domestic market as well, because there's a lot of Indians who haven't seen these untraveled places themselves um, and limit themselves or tend to limit themselves to the more commercial destinations. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's something that's, again, quite unique to you having understood or relatively better understood the, the Indian market, for instance, um, you may let's say appeal to um, you know the, the clients in Singapore for example who want to see a little bit more of India and who would then come yeah. through you as well so that, that that's again quite interesting I mean that's why
2: it's so important to have a good presence you know on the internet ultimately because you know if your website ranks well then you know we're not limiting ourselves just to clients from the, as I said from the UK yeah. Ultimately, we have seen an increase in demand, you know, of clients coming from, say, places like Singapore, Hong Kong, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's exciting. And then maybe there isn't that, you know, many companies in those countries that,
0: that offer the kind of trips that we do. So it's, it's you know, you mentioned, Vatslo uh, mentioned earlier that you've traveled 70 odd countries so far. What's your ideal holiday destination for you yourself? Ideal? I mean, oh, that's a tricky one, really. <laughs>
1: um... Or a few?
2: Yeah, it depends on the kind of trip, I guess. I mean... With the family,
0: so not the bachelor.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think India is still always up there. I mean, obviously, India, for myself personally, you know, a large part of it is visiting family, which is really good. But the nice thing is now when we go to India, we try to kind of do a short holiday... And um, to see parts of India that we haven't been to or, you know, so I mean, this time we just went down to South India, Mahabalipuram and Pondicherry, that site uh, I hadn't seen before. And uh, mm-hmm. that was very nice. Um, but outside of India, I mean, personally, um, I guess one of the more, most interesting places I recently visited uh, was last year was in Madagascar. Um, I've been intrigued by you know, the documentaries you'd see you know, on planet Earth um, and actually kind of you know being that close to you know, these lemurs and, and seeing such a unique part of the planet really mm-hmm. was absolutely you know, phenomenal. Um, you know, it was a hard trip. I mean, one thing that I definitely want to convey on the podcast is that people think that I, oh, yeah, you know, it's a great job You can travel to these amazing places, which it is. But, you know, they very unlike what a typical holiday would be. You kind of hit the ground running. You know, I remember when I got to Madagascar, which was after I think a 10 11 hour flight by Ethiopia, landed and then had a straight five hour drive to a particular point because I had another long drive the following day. And, you know, you have a limited time to cram in as much as you can. Obviously, you've got to see some key sites, but we have to meet partners. We have to, you know, test out some of these, a lot of these roads, you know, essentially because that's what we're going to tell our clients, you know. Um, We need to inspect as much accommodation as we can. We try to write up notes every day. Um, Obviously, a lot of photographs to be taken as well. So they're pretty full on days, usually very, very early starts until essentially sunset. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, I won't pretend that, you know, some parts, job off fantastic you know that is that is the nicest part of it really um but then essentially when you come back you know you have to then you know you put your business hat on um, Mm -hmm. and you have to get the product or the tour loaded and then all the marketing behind it and the day-to-day running Mm -hmm. of the business you know it's still Mm the same
0: yeah Yeah, clearly there's a lot of work goes into running a a travel company from you know front end to back end to getting your hands dirty um in, in country understanding the roads the culture as you mentioned um, it was a very insightful um you know catch up with yourself, and uh, we wish you all the best, and thank you for giving us uh, you know, insight into running a travel company. So thank you it. thanks for having me.
1: And I think it's it's really refreshing to see how a passion uh, for both you and Dave has manifested itself, and such a wonderful venture. So congratulations and wishing you all the best with travel the unknown. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. You can catch all upcoming episodes on the website globalize-asian.co.uk or via your iOS or Android devices. Also, if you wish to join us as a speaker and share your story, please do drop us a message via the contact form on the website.